Begin turn to Ephesians 5. We'll begin reading with verse 21 and read to the end of the chapter. Well, we'll begin reading, actually, we'll begin reading um, with verse 18. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church, Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. We consider tonight verses 25 through 27. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, First, a word of explanation, and that is, in the covering of this section, I intend to break it down into a number of smaller sections, partly because the text is so rich with concepts that we need to do it justice, and yet at the same time, There are sections of the text itself that we are going to leave for another time and focus on the main point that's being made even in these three verses, which is the calling of the husband to love his wife. This particular Word of God and the section that it's found is profound and very very important for all of us to hear. Of course, husbands, it's directed specifically to them, and it's important because it sets forth the main calling of the husband toward his wife. He has, of course, other callings. He has a calling to be the head of his wife, to live rightly in that position of authority God gave him. He has a calling to care for and support 
her emotionally and physically and financially that he must do, but his fundamental calling is to love her, and without, in fact, loving her, he cannot do the other aspects either. But it's also important to all of us, it's directed at men, but this Word of God is not for men exclusively. It applies to the females here also, even those unmarried because this text ties the calling of the husband to Christ's own love, even if one were never married to a husband or know a husband's love, she must know of Christ's own love for her as a member of the church, which love is even primary and more important than the love of a husband. This text sets forth one of the most important qualifications of a husband. So you younger, unmarried women who hope someday to be married must note this text. You must see this as the one qualification in a man who is dating you that he not simply love you, but that he loves you as Christ loves the church. And one must therefore look for and examine closely whether that man himself loves Christ. For if he does not love Christ, then he does not know the love of Christ. And if he does not know the love of Christ, he cannot and will not love you as Christ loves the church. There is a word here even to the married women of the congregation. Namely, that is your husband's calling towards you. That is the calling you may insist on. That is the calling that you may call him to. And if your husband does not love you as Christ loves the church, then he sins against you and you have a legitimate complaint to bring even perhaps to the consistory. But there is, of course, here a word mainly for us men, us married men, who may use this as an occasion to examine our own behavior and attitude toward our wife, to discover where we fall short, so that we repent of that evil behavior and find strength to so live with our wife in Jesus Christ, who so loves us. The unmarried men among us may examine themselves in this regard, even as they may look toward a woman to marry. Examine himself whether he looks at her as one whom he loves as Christ loves the church, and that anything short of that is not true love. The text is also important, indeed significant, because it ties earthly marriage here inseparably to the greater and real marriage of Christ and the church. This text is significant because it sets forth the reality that our marriages, the marriages that are addressed here, are but pictures and reflections of the greater marriage of ourselves to Jesus Christ. That's significant because it sets forth the reality that as we view the covenant, so we will view earthly marriage. And as we view earthly marriage, so will we view our covenantal earthly, our spiritual marriage to Jesus Christ. The one has implications for the other. And how one views one will affect the other. If, for example, marriage is nothing more in reality than a sort of business contract, then it is breakable. 
And if it is a business contract that is based upon mutual obligations and duties that if not performed, one can break that contract even with the advice and the approval of the church, then so will that be the nature of our relationship to Jesus Christ. And then, of course, we are undone, are we not? But even more than that, this text sets forth our Lord Jesus Christ as both the pattern, the infallible and perfect pattern of our earthly relationships, particularly marriage, and also the power to so live with our wives. The profundity of the text is not simply that Jesus Christ is something that's set forth here as an example to emulate or as some ideal that is unattainable, but that His love for us as a church is the very power and strength by which we love our wives as He loves us. Consider with me this evening, the glory of the church loving our wife in three points as Christ loves the church and Christ gave himself for us or her, and then thirdly, to present her glorious. The calling of the text is to the husbands and married men of the congregation to love their wives, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church. And the third, first thing that we want to look at, therefore, is that love of Christ for the church. And that's important because Oftentimes, even when we acknowledge the relationship between the church and Christ, we may not ground that in the love of Christ. We rather look at and we focus upon what Christ did, that He gave Himself for the church. And we even glory in that. But long before He gave Himself for the church, He loved the church. And the idea of the text is that it's the love of Christ that explains his behavior toward the church. It's the love of Christ that explains his giving of himself to the church. When we ask ourselves, first of all, what does it mean to love your wife? Then we learn by looking at the love of Christ for the church, that the husband's love for his wife is an attitude in his deepest being. It is an attitude in his heart and in his soul towards his wife. Now, we'll flesh what that attitude is all about as we go along. But even there, we're going to learn from Christ. Because, of course, everyone will admit, even those who do not love their wives, that love is something inside. It's something we feel. It's something in our heart, in our soul of sorts. But the great question is, about what? And concerning what? So we go to Christ. And we learn there that the love of Jesus Christ for His church is that attitude, that conviction in His heart and in His soul and in His mind regarding the church, wherein He regards that church as the most precious and dear thing to Himself. He sees the church as precious to himself. That's what that love is. 
And then when you look closer, you will see that it is also an attitude that regards that church as dear and precious because that church was given to him. That it was a church that was chosen by God the Father. That God determined who that church will be and what it will consist of. And therefore, the Son holds that church dear to Himself. And thirdly, it is an attitude or desire for the highest good of that which love holds dear. Love is not simply where one has a feeling toward another that says this is precious and dear to me, but says this thing that is precious and dear to me, and precious and dear because it was given to me by one who loves me, even my Father, I desire and want that one dear and precious thing to have everything I have, to share in my blessedness. Wants the highest blessedness, which when speaking about Christ, is the very blessedness of God Himself. To share in that blessedness, to share in that glorious, wonderful, perfect life of Himself. That's Christ's love for the church. And we can read about that and the various qualities of it, that it is everlasting. It is also eternal, that is, it begins before the foundation of the world, before Jesus even does anything with regard to us. That it is unquenchable and powerful. Consider with me some passages from the Word of God about that love, wherein it explains even our love for God. It is that basic. Here in His love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us. That text is not saying we don't love God, because later it is going to say that in that very same epistle. But the main thing, the primary thing, the thing that explains our love for God is that He first loved us. We loved Him. In fact, it goes on to say only nine verses later, because He first loved us. That's 1 John 4. Jesus said, As the Father hath loved me, so I loved you. Just consider that. Can you think of anything more wonderful and precious and amazing than the Father's love for the Son and the being of God? How perfect that is. And Jesus says, with that same love, with all of its perfection and wonder, its fierceness and its power, I love you. Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. That's Jeremiah 31. Very important text about the covenant. In loving kindness, He draws us. It's an amazing thing to think about with regard to the church and our salvation. Even here, we can, we can make salvation a sort of mechanical thing. This happens, then that happens, and this explains that, and it's very logical and concise. But remember, it's all rooted and explained by love. Love is what draws us. Love is what explains it all. Love, we learn also from Christ's love for the church, is the source of all the blessedness of the church. Or as we're going to see, all the blessedness of the wife. This must be pointed out because 
There are marriages and homes where there is little blessedness of the life. Wife, her, her life is miserable. Her life is almost intolerable. Her desire to carry out her calling to love her husband and even submit to him is well nigh impossible. And it's easy. It's easy to point the finger at the wife and say, you don't love your husband as you ought. You do not submit to him as you ought. You've made your life miserable when the fact of the matter is it's due to the failure of the husband to first love his wife or to make his love for her conditioned upon her own behavior. That is not the love of Christ for the church. In that love for the church, our great husband Jesus Christ wills the good and only the good of the church. He is rich in mercy for His great love wherewith He loved us, we learned in Ephesians 2 verse 4. Remember that text? He is rich in mercy, so we love the mercy and the grace of God, but it's rooted there in His love so that the child of God even confesses I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me. It's the love of the Son of God that explains my faith and my own love for Him. It is because He loves His wife that He lives with her. He dwells not outside the church, but He spends His time in the church. He doesn't merely gather the church, but He preserves the church. And He goes with the church wherever it goes. And He cares for and nourishes and provides everything for the church, oftentimes providing for us about things that we're not even aware of. Things happen in the church. Sometimes very painful and sorrowful matters go on in the church. And we often forget that this is the love of Christ. And He's doing His work. He's caring for us. He's attending to matters that we're not even aware of. That's the kind of love now that every husband must have for his wife. That's the standard. In other words, when every husband asks himself the question, do I love my wife? Before he answers, and it's often, well, yes, of course, he needs to add, as Christ loves the church. And that changes the answer every single time. When there are marital problems that involve the pastor or the elders, the question isn't, husband, do you love your wife? But it's, do you love your wife as Christ loves the church? And do you know anything about that love? And oftentimes, far too often, the answer is no. That won't be the answer out loud. And the reason for the failure of the husband to love his wife as Christ loves the church is he knows very little, if anything, about that love of Christ for the church. He imagines to himself that that love of Christ for the church is something he has coming, that he deserves. He's unthankful and ungrateful of that love of Christ for the church because he's taken it for granted. He sees himself as naturally beautiful and lovely, which shows he knows nothing about the love of Christ for the church. Now, this love... This attitude is a determination. It's a conscious, deliberate attitude and activity of all the heart, the will, and the mind. In other words, 
It's not merely sexual attraction. It's not merely a feeling that has something to do with sexual attraction. Now that's a wonderful, real, honorable thing. God made male and female so that there is that. And it's a wonderful part of the marital life and part of the unique bond of marriage. There is something to that with regard to the one flesh union. But love is much, much more than that. Love is a perfection. It's a virtue, a quality in God. Christ's love for the church is nothing less than the very love that God is and the love of God that He has within Himself as a God of persons. And a love, therefore, that He communicates to us. And if you look at that love of God, you will see that it's far more than feelings or sexual attraction. It's a conscious determination, a willing of heart and mind. And this is what the husband loves his wife with. The husband does not merely love his wife with his own love, some love that he manufactured and came up with for himself. He didn't just fall into this love. He didn't just obtain it. But it's the very love of God communicated to him through Jesus Christ. And with that love, he loves his wife, as Christ loves the church. That's the idea. Marital love, therefore, is not merely feeling. And if you doubt me on that, simply notice that this comes as a command. This is important because the world, and we by nature, confuse love and feelings all the time. Now there is a feeling with regard to it. There is an emotional side to love. But it is not merely that. Those can change. They're fickle. And if that is all love is, then we can be out of love as fast as we are in love. And therefore also excuse ourselves about loving our wife. We can be so bold as to go to the pastor and the elders and even say, well, I don't love my wife never considering that that's rebellion and disobedience against Jesus Christ. That is said as if that's just something that's there or not there, like feeling hungry or full. No, love is a matter of the will. Love is a matter of determination. Love is something that takes power and energy and strength. It involves the mind. And that's evident when Jesus says, love your wife. Did you ever try to command an emotion? Stop crying. How successful are you at that? Stop feeling that pain. How does that work? But Christ comes and says, husbands, love your wives. The calling, therefore, of husbands is a calling that they have regardless of what they feel. A husband may feel even a certain detestation of his wife, a repulsion to his wife. He shouldn't. That's not natural. That's not the way it ought to be. And still is obligated to love his wife. And in fact, if one truly understands what love is, True love is such a power and determination consciously in heart and mind and soul that it overcomes feelings. That one says, this is what I do and this is what I will do regardless of the cost, regardless of the pain, regardless of my own personal feelings or will. Even if it's because Christ says so. This is therefore 
in unconditional command that come to us. One may no more say, I don't love my wife, than he may say, I've decided to steal something or commit adultery. Which is often why when a man says, says that, that's what can follow adultery. But the root problem is he decided consciously and willingly in his own heart to not love his wife. That is a decision. That's something that that man determined to do and that is sinful and wicked. Far too often, a man may admit that and admit it as if it's no big thing. And elders possibly can receive it as if it's not really a problem. May ignore those important words to get to more important matters, perhaps, that the wife is complaining about the husband's behavior. It's fundamental, unconditional. If we as husbands find that we do not love our wives as Christ loves the church, then our calling is to repent of our sin and wickedness and see that as what it is. We must admit that, that this or that time that I let my emotions and feelings get the better of me and my own natural will was sin on my part. Jesus, please forgive me that I did not love the spouse you gave me as I ought and find strength in Christ to so love his wife again. That gets us deeper than into what that love is. It is an attitude and determination that first of all receives one's spouse as from God. Does not look at one's spouse even as the one one chose. Because if you can choose, then you can reject. If you can receive, then you can expel. Marriage, not just the heavenly spiritual marriage of Christ and the church, but marriage itself is the work of God. What God joins together, man may not put asunder. And that means then that part of this love for the wife is that the man receives his wife as God's lovely and wonderful and beautiful gift for her, him. That's usually the first thing to go wrong when we say we don't love our wives. We even forget that at one time we saw her as lovely and beautiful. We perhaps forgot too that the reason we saw her as lovely and beautiful was perhaps all wrong in our own mind, which is why we're in the pickle that we're in now. We didn't look at her according to her spiritual beauty. We weren't loving her as Christ loves the church even from the beginning. But be that as it may, true love is that. And exactly because of that, she is dear and precious to you. There's more to it than that. She ought to be even more precious and dear because she's loved by Christ. Which is often why when we're foolish enough to say we don't love our wives, we begin to immediately point out her sins and faults. Our purpose in that is to try to justify our unloving attitude toward her and behavior toward her by trying to imply that she's not a child of God. Never mind our own sin and rebellion. She can't be a child of God and therefore I don't need to love her. Can't do that. Can't do that. Not when you consider her as that which God gave you and then consider what the church was that God gave to Christ. You want to talk about someone that was naturally unlovable, wicked, even enemies and opposed. One 
would if, according to our thinking, imagine Christ saying, Are you kidding me, Father? You picked this for my bride? You picked these people for me to attend to? To love and to cherish and care? You see, even when we might say, well, I love my wife as Christ loves the church, and we're not, the problem is we've forgotten what we are as a church before Christ set His love upon us and never asked ourselves what it meant for Christ to love the church. You think the appearance of your wife or her behavior or even great sins against you are an excuse to say, I don't love her? You know nothing about the love of Christ for His church. This love of Christ for the church is vehement. It is powerful. It is unquenchable. It is unstoppable. It is unconditional. Never did Christ have an excuse or take an excuse or say, I'm done loving you because of this or that. It's this love that must govern everything else with regard to the wife. The husband who does not love his wife, who forgets his calling to love her as Christ loves the church invariable will invoke, well, I'm the head and she's not submitting, has forgotten that the real problem is that he does not govern his wife and function as her head in love. To be the head of your wife, to quote those texts that make you the head of your wife, to insist on your wife's submission without loving her, is hypocrisy. It's hypocrisy. Love must govern our leading of her. Love for her is what explains our care for her, our support of her, our desire for her highest good. Now, to flesh that out more, because it is more than a determination and an attitude, love does something. It always does something. The husband may no more look at his wife and say, I love you, and sit there on the couch with a remote control doing nothing, or say, I love my wife, and never attend to her needs, rarely around, always gone here and there, then can he point to Christ doing that with regard to his church? Again, the standard is Christ. When it comes to doing something, it's all summarized by that one word, gave himself. That is an amazing definition of love. In fact, it's the only definition of love that's worth remembering. If you remember two things, inwardly love is this attitude. As I explained it, remember this, that love always is a giving of oneself. It's an amazing thing here, really, and that is how you may look at our salvation. Perhaps we've forgotten to do that. Perhaps we've forgotten that all of Christ's life and ministry and everything that He has done may be summarized as a giving of Himself. Not giving of things. We often think of it that way, right? He gives me faith. He gives me grace. He gives me my house. He gives me my wife. He gives me this. He gives me that. Oh, no. When Christ gives you His grace, when He gives you faith, when He gives you love, when He gives you mercy, when He gives you anything, He's giving Himself. All of salvation may be summarized that way. That when He came in our flesh, He was giving Himself. When He suffered and died on the cross, He was giving Himself. Even when He ascended, He ascended into heaven that He might return giving Himself. All of salvation may be summarized simply as the implanting of Christ's own life in you. The gift of His Spirit that He literally gives Himself to you and to me. And the Scriptures say now to the husbands, that's what your love must do. 
Any love that's not that is not love. That must be emphasized. You young ladies who are looking at a man to marry, perhaps maybe are dating, that man who loves you as Christ loves the church will give himself for you. That's the opposite of taking. Far too many men, even in the church, perhaps they learned it from their fathers. Who knows? They learn it from the world. Who knows? See love as taking. They say, I love my wife. I love you. And what they mean is, you've got a lot I can take. Don't be charmed by a man who can spot a lot of virtue and quality in you and says to himself, there's a lot to take there. He looks at you as someone to take from, to plunder. He takes your virginity. He takes your virtue. He takes your love. He takes everything you have and he sucks you dry. That's what that man will do. Might not happen right at once. But if you marry such a man, that's what will happen in your marriage. You will have a marriage where a man does not love you, but he will take from you because he loves himself. A man who loves you will love you as Christ gave himself. That's what he did. Love is always a giving, and it's always a giving of self. A man who says, I love my wife, but will not give himself to her, does not love his wife. He's lying through his teeth. His confession of Jesus Christ is even false and hypocritical. A man who says, I love my wife, but will not spend time with her, will not talk to her, or spend as little as time as possible with her, does not love his wife. Giving of self means he gives to her himself. Even sex, even sex is a giving of self. It's not a taking. It's a giving. It's a giving of yourself for your wife's benefit and blessedness. It's an even an understanding of that's what she needs as opposed to what I need. She's not giving me what I need. She's not providing what I need. She's supposed to be my help and give me what I need. No. Oh no, you selfish, selfish person. You're supposed to give yourself to her. And if you do, if you truly love her and give yourself to her, she will give you what you need. Again, look at the pattern. Look at the pattern. Look at how it's all laid out. It's a giving of everything. Be very careful here, men and women, about my time. My time. It's my time to play ball. It's my time to play golf. It's my time to hunt, to fish. It's my time to boat. It's my time to sit on the couch with a remote control. Oh, I do work. But that too is about me, isn't it? I work so that I can buy this or that. Occasionally throw my wife a gift here and there so that she doesn't bother me so much. Christ gave Himself entirely and wholly for His church. Even now in heaven, he is always imparting Himself. We're going to go light on the part that's related to this and treat this separately, that this giving of self has to do with the union of Christ and His church, like that of a body and a head, a one-flesh union. But simply take note of the sacrament that's not mentioned in so many words. Sacrament of baptism is mentioned, and I want to save that passage for baptism sometime, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with a washing of water by the words. I'm talking there about baptism and what's symbolized in baptism. But look at the Lord's Supper. We literally eat and drink him. 
There is no such thing, men, as giving too much to your wife. There is no such thing as your time and your money and your energy. There's no such thing. It doesn't exist. You gave yourself to her. You didn't take her. You gave yourself to her. And your calling to love her is to give yourself to her until you die. There too we're going to focus on a little bit more. But notice there's never a time when Christ doesn't give himself. Even in eternity, he will be giving eternally of himself to us in his great love to us. The alternative, you see, is selfish pride and narcissism. And it's nothing in between that, you see. You are either giving yourself to your wife as a husband, or you're taking. Or you're taking. And if you're taking, you're not giving as Christ gave himself to the church. And notice that giving isn't conditioned again upon the wife's giving to him. Christ's giving of himself isn't conditioned on what we do or do not do. Christ said, this is what I will do. Not only that, but go a step further. Far too often when there's problems in a marriage and trouble between husband and wife, the husband points the finger at the wife with a whole pile of accusations. Let's suppose, for sake of argument, that they're all true. Rarely are they all true. But let's suppose that they are all true and that this wife is the most selfish, piggish person you can imagine, that she's a shrew, and she shrieks at him nonstop, never obeys a single word that he says, virtually throws his food at him at the supper table, So, is that a reason not to love your wife and to give yourself to her? And the answer, of course, is no. Absolutely not. In fact, if one is thinking straight theologically and looking at the love of Christ and the giving of himself for the church, the wise husband who knows anything about that is going to realize that maybe the very fact that I have not given myself to my wife explains her behavior toward me. You see, there's something to that. Take a look at the purpose of Christ's love and giving himself for the church. Why did he do that? Did he do that because the bride was naturally lovely and dressed in white and the most beautiful thing? No, read the description in Scripture of this bride that was given to Christ. A most awful thing. A most awful thing. One ugly, self-centered, rebellious woman, if you can find one. But he loved her nevertheless. And he did it in order, with the purpose of presenting her to himself what she ought to be. That's the amazing thing about our salvation and our covenant with God. It doesn't depend on us, whether we depend upon Him. Our sanctity, our being made white and pure, which is impossible if you think about it, nevertheless is accomplished by what? The love of the husband for his wife. That's the way it works. That's how Bible presents it. For you and I to become to go from the ugly, rebellious, wicked creatures that we are to those who truly love Jesus Christ. Ask yourself, how did that happen? And the answer is the husband's love. It's the source and explanation of it all. And that's presented here too. Now why is that? Well, of course there's certain limitations to the husband's love. We can't save as Christ can. But nevertheless, there is in marriage a reflection of that. 
and any man who knows anything of Christ's love should be able to see it, which is even a husband's love, if it's the love of Christ for his church, is an amazing power. You know that, right? Us husbands who do not love our wives as we ought, ought not be in despair. We ought to be sorry for our sin and we ought to find forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And when we go to Him, we experience His love, do we not? And you know something of the power of that love. That it sanctifies. It changes. That whole process, that whole process is a work of His love. It works the same way in marriage too. Husband, stop saying, well, what about my wife? Just start loving your wife. Caring for her as Christ loves the church. And you may be amazed at what happens. Certainly don't sell it short. Because you're loving her, or you ought to be loving her, with the very love of Christ for the church. And if she's a child of God, which she probably is, even though you've been telling yourself perhaps otherwise, She will respond to that, even as the church does. No, we don't accomplish that. The love of Christ accomplishes that. She will probably recognize in her own self, her own sins and weaknesses, and with you, go to the cross. And that's what being a husband is really about. A husband who truly loves his wife. Confesses his own sins. Worries about his own sins. Will often find his wife there on her knees with him going to that very same cross, that cross of that amazing Christ who loved both of them and loved them in order to sanctify them and present them glorious, glorious. What a witness to the world is a husband in the church who confesses the name of Jesus Christ and hates his wife. Or only loves her selfishly, not with the love of Christ. But what a glorious, amazing thing it is, beloved, when the love of Christ actually accomplishes that in our marriages with us as sinners. Amen. Our Father, which art in heaven, O Lord, our God, forgive us, husbands, our hatred against our wives, our selfish, self-seeking, self-taking love, that which wounds and hurts our lovely wives, lovely with the very love of Jesus Christ. And may we, O Lord, Lord, learn to live the Christian life, the truth that we have learned practically in our lives. For this is the purpose, the very work of our Lord Jesus Christ, whom we serve. Forgive us, Lord, our sins, and give us strength, the strength of thy love to so live with one another, especially our spouse. In Jesus' name, amen.